This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. As of just a few weeks ago, um, within about the last six weeks, we, we saw in, in the context of just normal Sundays, uh, about 50 people commit their lives to Jesus. That's awesome. All right, that's, that's people who maybe for the first time, maybe that's you. Maybe you over the last few weeks have said, hey, you know what? I just wasn't going the direction that God has called me. I know that. And I'm going to make a, a shift. I'm going to make a turn. And I'm going to come back. And, and God, I'm just going to say I want to live for you. And maybe that's been you. And so because of that, we decided that we would do a series called Life Support. And, and really that's because uh, most of us, even though that eternal issue has been satisfied, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. God has saved me there's still issues that we need to work through. There's still health issues in our lives that need to be addressed. And so we started life support four weeks ago. Let me just give you some barometer on where we're going to go over the next few weeks. Next week, we start a a brand new series. It's only going to be a three-week series, but I'm really excited about it because I think it's important for us. It's called The God of Second Chances. Okay, and we're we're really going to look at the book of Jonah and encapsulate in in all of those three messages the stuff that's happening in those only five chapters of this small little record of of a story of a prophet who ran from God and ended up landing exactly where God wanted him to. And so uh, God of second chances will start next week. You really don't want to miss that. I think it's going to be important for us. But this series is wrapping up today. And the problem that many of us have have faced in in our our spiritual health and in health issues in general is that we have made a mistake of buying into something that wasn't real. We've we've bought into a perception. How many of y'all have ever seen those crazy diets that come along? Y'all ever seen them things? Right, the ice cream diet. Eat all the ice cream you want. If I went on the ice cream diet and ate all the ice cream that I wanted, you would not. You'd have to roll me in here and sit me and prop me up up here. There there are some some principles that are at work, and one of the things that I think that there is a common misconception in most of us is about what the what the big issue in the Bible is all about. From from cover to cover, what is this book telling me? What is God, through his wisdom, through his authority, trying to tell me through this book? And many of us have misdiagnosed it. I would tell you, just as we get started today, the grand issue of Scripture is not good or bad. It's life or death. And for too many of us, the... The message of Scripture has been used to frame whether somebody is a good person or a bad person, whether I am being good or being bad. And that is not the case at all. 
The Bible always, from its very beginning, makes life the issue. It makes life the issue. And that's why last week I told you that this is one of the scariest verses in all the Bible. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends of that way is death. Proverbs 14, 12, and then again in 16, 25. Two times we see that same phrase. That means that there's a way that appears to be the right way to go. It seems good to me. It sounds right. But when I go that way, all it leads me to is death. See, really, there are two ways. Your way leads to death. Your way, the way you want to go, the things you want to do, the attitudes you want to carry, all of that stuff leads to death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That means when we sin, when we do our own thing, we earn death. That is what sin earns. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's why Jesus leads to life. And in John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is life, folks. Our way, our own thing, doing what we want. It leads to death, but when we embrace Jesus as life, he leads us to life. So most of us today come in in some area of our life with our life on life support. We're in that tension between life and death. And I don't know if you've ever been in a room with someone that was on life support, that was on a ventilator, that was on a, I mean, any kind of support to keep their, I, that tension between life and death is where many of us find ourselves today. And I want to walk you through very quickly three passages of scripture and show you why many of us are there. In Judges 21, 25, the Bible says this, that in those days, Israel had no king. And look, everyone did as he saw fit. Moses has died. The heir apparent, Joshua, who took the reins of leadership, has now died. And sporadically through the book of Judges, God would raise up a leader that would take over the reins of being a leader. But in this moment, in Judges 21, 25, we find Israel with no king. And the Bible records that everyone did whatever they wanted. Let me just tell you this. When you don't have a king... When you don't know who your king is, you will do whatever you want. Then I want to jump to Proverbs 7, where the writer Solomon describes a scene that he watches, beginning in verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. 
Many of us are like the young boy that Solomon sees just walking down the street. We're just going our own way. We're not trying to hurt anyone. We're just minding our own business, taking a nice leisurely stroll through life. But see, the thing is, is that it's not just you. You're not the only player in life. You're not the only one that has intentions for your life. Obviously, we know God does, but we also have an enemy who wants to trip you up, trap you, deceive you, and leave you broken. If he can mess up God's plan. And so jumping forward in that chapter, Proverbs 7, 22, All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Just walking along. Just minding my own business. But it's not just your own business. Because obviously, like I said, God has a plan. And too many of us are like this young boy. We have just tried to be the good person in life. We've just tried to do the right thing. And then life has tempted us. It's thrown at us desires that we weren't prepared for. It's caused us to look in directions that we weren't planning to look, but we looked anyway. And like that young boy who is tempted and found wanting, when we turn to our own way, It leads to death. Many of you right now, if we were to step back and to look at your lives, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that many of us could work any harder. I know most of you. I don't think you're lazy. I don't think that your lives right now lack effort, but maybe we might identify with this little passage out of the book of Haggai. I think I should get some pastoral props for actually bringing out a passage from the book of Haggai today. Um, So Haggai 1, 5 through 6. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have enough. Your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. How many of y'all would say today, that's how I feel? That's me. I've planted a lot, but I haven't harvested a whole lot. I'm working hard, but I don't see the kind of fruit that I think I should. I feel like we're earning money, but I feel like I just keep putting it into a purse with, what does the Bible tell us? With holes 
in it. You know, the thing that's interesting about our universe is that all of us right now are warmed by what we call the sun, which is a star. It's a large glob of burning gas. And one day, most likely many years from now, that star will burn out. And what happens at the end of a star's life is that it collapses into itself as it burns out. The gravity that is created from that is so strong that the fastest thing in the universe, a particle of light, cannot escape it. We call it a black hole. And for many of us today, the reason that we feel, we feel so empty, we feel like we're working so hard and, and, and we're not satisfied is because we have a black hole inside of us. See, the thing about a black hole is a black hole demands our resources and is never satisfied. Black holes demand our resources and are never satisfied. You and I can create a black hole in our life out of something that is good. Star, sun, good. At the end when it collapses, black hole is bad. And we can take something that is good and elevate it to becoming the supreme thing in our lives. The supreme desire of our lives. When we misplace the true desire that should be Jesus. And that hole will never be filled. It will always want more. It will always be the purse with holes in it. The second thing that you need to know is a black hole kills everything. Oftentimes, we elevate our needs as we talk about a black hole. But think about this with me. When we create something in our lives that is a constant resource drainer, it's constantly going to want, it's just consistently going to want more time, more money. It's always going to want more. When we create that in our lives, it's going to drain everything that's healthy. It's going to drain the life out of our relationships. It's going to drain the life out of our emotional health. It's going to kill us. It's going to kill your family. It's going to kill your relationships. Black holes kill everything. I want to walk you through specifically how we can create a black hole out of something that is good today. I'm going to pick finances as the area that many of us today have created a black hole in our lives. The reason I'm picking that is because often when Jesus went to pick a topic to illustrate, he went to money. In the Bible, this is interesting to me, there are five times more verses on money than there are on prayer. 
Jesus spoke about money more than any other topic. And you know why? Because most of us, when we hear something about money, we sit there and go, all the church wants is something from me. That's all, the, that's all they want. They just want something from me. And God's sitting back going, no, I want something for you. Because there's no place that something that's not in the right kind of health kind of comes to light quicker than in our finances. It's just a barometer on our lives. And so we're going to look at that and how we create a black hole out of our finances. Money, good, right? When it becomes supreme thing in our lives, bad. We create a black hole. So here we go. How do we create a black hole out of our finances? Number one, we become consumed with the word more. I need that new fill in the blank. I need a new pair of shoes. I need a new purse. I need that new gadget. I need a new car. I need a new house. We can't do this unless we get a new. We always need more. And the truth is, is that many of us are already there. The average person in America, listen to this, the average person in America encounters in one day over 3,000 advertisements. That's a ton of people all day long telling you that you need something. And we in our culture are obsessed with more and it does not at all lead to life. Look at what Jesus says. Luke 12, 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greeds. Pay attention to this. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Let me just ask you, how many of you have ever been to a funeral where in the funeral, there was a great bit of time spent talking about what the person had. Ever happened? No, it hasn't. Now, we will talk about what somebody gave, won't we? We'll talk about a person who was generous. Because life is not defined by an abundance of possessions. Jesus tells us that, but practically we know that already. And there will come a point when you'll realize that that voice that says more is never going to be satisfied. The second thing that we do is that we elevate instant gratification above sacrifice. Look at that. We elevate instant gratification above sacrifice. That's how Chase is in business today. Chase your dreams, right? Chase them all the way to the bank for the next 20 years. Once you get in debt, 
Instant gratification above sacrifice. The plan of God has always been that we would sacrifice. That we would patiently endure. See, the thing is, is that we want everything to be fixed and we want it to be fixed right now. And we will go in debt to get it fixed. That's not just financially. We'll go in debt emotionally. We want instant gratification, but God's plan has always been to sacrifice. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about that. The pattern of this world is what? To be gratified instantly. But God's plan is that we would present our bodies, that we would stand before God as a living sacrifice. The third thing that we do is that we spend everything that you have. We spend everything we have If you want to create a black hole in your finances, spend everything you have. That's a relatively new idea. Most of our families that are in here right now, you probably live paycheck to paycheck. But if you went back 100 years, even back 60 years, it would be difficult to find a family that didn't first tithe off of what they got. And second, save. Most of the old people that you would talk to about financial advice would just say, hey, you give that first 10%, you save that next 10%, and then you live off 80%. But most of us right now, our budgets look like we're living off 100%. We're spending everything we have because that first thing More and more and more is demanding more and more and more. But look at what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. The choice to be content in the midst of a world that's going to throw 3,000 advertisements at you on a daily basis is significant. And the last thing that we do not do is we do not prepare for coming storms. So we get ready to kind of zero in towards the end of this message. I want to zero in on a story. I want to focus on a story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. Luke 15, Jesus tells a story uh, that we call the prodigal son. It's about a son who demands his inheritance from his father and then leaves home and goes and blows all the money on wild living. And I'd like to look at Luke 15, 14 right here and see. I want you to see as the story begins to take a, a downward turn for the son, look at what happens. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. 
and he began to be in need. Now think about that with me. Think about that. He wasn't planning on a drought. He wasn't planning on a famine. He, he wasn't prepared for that because he had spent everything. But a storm came. And if you're not prepared for a financial storm, let me just tell you, one's coming. The air conditioner is going to break one day. Your kids are going to pick up a baseball and throw it through that big, huge window in the living room that costs like $800,000 to replace, right? It's going to happen. If you're not prepared, and we find that in the son, he's not prepared, and that is the tipping point that leads to his poverty, is that there is a storm, and it's not just a personal storm. It affects the whole country. So what I want to do is I want to give you four things as life support. When we have created a black hole, here is what we can do to address that in our lives. The first thing that you need to do is to be real about where you are. You need to be real about where you are. Look at what the son does in Luke 15, 17. He says, or the Bible says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. We need to be real about where we are. All right, if you have created a black hole financially and you're the person right now that's living just saying more and more and more and more, I just need more and you have more and more credit card debt and more and more bills that you can't pay. You need to wake up and look at it. I counseled a family not too long ago that was struggling financially. And I said, well, how are you paying for stuff? And they said, we're just kind of using credit cards. Bad plan, first of all. And I said, well, how much debt do you have right now? They said, we don't know. I said, well, you need to know. First step, go home. Let's figure it out. So they went home, pulled all their consumer debt, all their credit cards, $75,000 in consumer credit card debt. That's a lot of money, folks. They didn't even know it. Wasn't even on their radar. We've got to be real about where we are. Some of you have created a black hole in a relationship. You've put expectations that are on that relationship that are so high, nobody, not even Jesus, could even live up to that standard. And all you're asking for all the time is more, more, more. Black hole. Let's start just like the sun did and just wake up and be real about where we are. Number two, develop a plan of attack. Look at what the sun says in Luke 15, 18 through 19. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, even in his poverty, the son is able to develop a plan that can attack his poverty. 
I'm going to go home. I'm just going to say, Dad, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Would you just make me a servant? I will live like one of your servants in your house because it is better than I'm living right now. How many of y'all know that if you don't have a plan, you're planning to fail? How many of y'all know that? I said, here, here's my, my statement, and y'all, y'all can just write this down if you're taking notes. We either live by design or by default. Our lives will default to whatever it is that's normal and practical, or we will live by God's design. If you're that family that's $75,000 in consumer debt, we have a plan for you. It's called financial peace. We'll offer it again this fall. But just to make it simple, it's, hey, you got to either reduce your expenses or increase your income. you got to create some margin in there and start devoting all of that money to paying off debt. Whatever that margin is, Dave Ramsey calls that a debt snowball. How many of you know that as parents, when we raise kids, if we don't intentionally teach them how to do something, they're not going to know. How many of y'all know that? Like, unless we just, there's an, an actual plan of how, this is what I want to see happen in my kids' lives. That's why this week, I went and bought uh, 15 copies of Dave Ramsey just wrote a book with his daughter, all right, Rachel Cruz, and it's called Smart Money, Smart Kids. It is a plan for parents on how to teach your kids to be responsible and faithful with their finances. We need to stop just throwing money at kids, just saying, hey, here's a bunch of money. No, they have a wonderful plan. And if you will read through that, I think it will totally bless your family. The book costs $16. We're selling it today for for $10. Just $10. You guys can take home a copy of that. All right, get a plan of attack. The third thing that we need to do is that we need to start right now because there's a thousand lies that are floating around in your head that are telling you that you don't need to start right now. I don't need to work on this right now. I need to wait until so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so until this is done. I need to wait until this comes into order, until this in the future happens. No, start right now. Look at what the son does in Luke fifteen twenty. The Bible records, so he got up and went to his father. When he thought, this is what I need to do, he just got up and left. And some of you are in an absolute mess. And you're trying to live in that mess and trying to navigate, all right, how do I kind of get out of it? Just get out of it. Don't say goodbye. Don't try to part ways. Leave. And do it now. Right now. The the enemy at times looks at us and says, I don't know if I can keep them from God's plan forever, but maybe I can keep them from it for another week. Maybe I can keep them from it for just a, a few more days. And we don't want that. We want to buy into what God wants right now. And the fourth thing that we need to do is that we need to choose Jesus. We need to choose Jesus. You see, as that son was 
biding his time, failing miserably. He looked back and said, uh, servant's role in my father's house is better than where I'm at. And we need to look at Jesus and say, God, I don't know what kind of mess I've made out of my life. I don't know what kind of brokenness I've pulled into, but God, I trust you to be the life that permeates itself through everything in me. Look at what the Bible says of Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Listen to me. You may think today, I have blown it. Kevin, you don't know what kind of black hole is living in my life, but let me tell you this. Whatever you've messed up, God is stronger than that. Whatever you've blown, God is bigger than that. He has the capacity to take that and turn it around and use it for his good. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're the kind of God that would call us out of a black hole. That you're not the kind of God that would leave us alone. That you aren't satisfied staying away, that you come close, you come near. And God, as we look to you today, God, as we look to you, we ask that by your grace and mercy, you cause us to trust in you, to look to you first. God, many of us are living with black holes in our life. We're living with a brokenness that's hurting us, that's keeping us from experiencing the full life that you want to give us. And so today, God, those of us that are on life support, we ask you to come and to bring us back to life, to breathe life into these areas. They're good, and you've blessed us with them, and we've turned them into negative things by creating a supreme thing out of them. And so, God, we look to you today. So with nobody looking around, every eye closed, I, wanna, I, want, I just want you to process this question right now. I want you to think through this question and process it. What's life look like for you right now? What does life look like for you right now? What does life look like? Do you feel like today you're alive? Like there, the different parts of your life are just, man, or, or there are parts of your life that are on life support, maybe because there's a black hole that is sucking the life out of that area. Maybe today you're at a point where you realize that I can't keep doing it this way. I can't keep it, and I don't even want to keep doing it this way. I'm tired of saying more. I'm tired of asking for more. I need to learn to be satisfied. I've looked in the wrong thing to try to find my identity. Maybe today is a day that maybe before God you would say, Hey, God, I've, I've blown it, and I want to get it right.
If that's you today, if you would say today, I have been blowing it. I've been looking for life in the wrong place. I I have been literally dying on the inside, but I want life. I want to live with the life of Jesus alive in me. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? God, for those of us that are in the room today who would say that we desperately need you to come and to bring those dead parts of us to life. God, we just ask that you would do that. Resurrect us just like Jesus so that we can experience your power alive in us by the grace and mercy of God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.